The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. It is uh, really good to be, to be with you guys today. Um, before we put those Bibles away, though, we're going to look at one other passage. We're going to come back to Mark chapter 3, but open your Bibles to Romans 12. Romans 12. Um, this one's not going to be on screen, so not going to help you out. So if you have a phone, if you haven't found a way to download the Bible yet, Uversion is uh, a great app. There are daily reading plans that go with that, about 600 or so reading plans you can choose from. Uh, Uversion, if you're on a Samsung device, it might just show up as the Bible, but look for lifechurch.tv. They're from Oklahoma. Anyone from Oklahoma in the room? Yeah, we, we got one. Good. Good start. That's a lot of enthusiasm for Oklahoma there. Uh, anyway, lifechurch.tv is a developer of that. Also, uh, Bible Gateway is another great option. But having that on your phone or mobile device, whatever, is a great way to take that with you. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12, and this sets up the scene for our discussion today. We're going to begin in verse 3, although verses 1 and 2 are great, some of my favorite verses in the New Testament. We're going to start with with, with verse 3. This has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today. So, here we are. Uh, I'm reading out of the New International Version, is uh, kind of where I'm coming from here. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more, what? More highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And so if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that uh, you would show yourself to us today. Uh, you are the one who distributes the gifts. It is by your uh, appointment. And as you send out your spirit, Lord, we acknowledge that we receive gifts from you. Today we ask that we might apply those and we might understand them and that they might be given back to you. And so as we uh, spend these next minutes together, come Lord Jesus quickly. For many of us who are here are waiting and not one of us will be disappointed. Amen. So if you think about those gifts, prophesying, teaching, encouraging, serving, leading, giving, which one are you? Just tell the person next to you, which one stands out for you? You're like, what were they again? Okay, one more time. Here they are. From Romans chapter 12, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then go for it. Which one is you? Which one stands out? Who says leadership? Anyone? Okay, very common question I hear people say out loud is, I'm not sure if I'm a leader. I would love to lead, I would love to be considered that, but I'm not sure if I'm a leader. Has anyone in this room ever questioned that for themselves? Yeah. Both hands, Crystal, this is is good. Both hands in the air. Yeah, there's actually a great, it's a great question to ask. There is a lot of debate today as to whether everyone is a leader. 
Um, I do a, a lot of leadership adventures. In fact, we're planning on the next one for this summer. We take a group of people off to some high adventure location, either a canyon or a mountain, and they're uh, kind of pushed beyond their comfort zone. And then in that, they form community with each other, form this relationship with God at a deeper level. And um, I've had people say to me before, I would love to go with you on that adventure, but I'm not sure if I'm a what? Leader. That sounds great for those leader type people, but I'm not sure that's me. It is a valid question. Specifically, the question whether or not they're given an outpouring of the gift of leadership, as we hear in Romans chapter 12, that might lead in turn to a vocation of leader. You may or, not, may, or may not see yourself as a leader, but I believe that everyone is called to lead. I believe you are called to lead. That's why I had you introduce yourself earlier as a leader. If you are a parent, anyone in the room is a parent? Anyone hope to be a parent someday? If you're a parent, you are a leader. You have influence, you have followers. Um, if you are placed in charge of a group at work or at school, or maybe you're on a jury and suddenly everyone's looking at you going, I think this is our leader. That's a sign. You're called to lead. If you take the name of Christ and you go out anywhere into this world, if you take on that name, you are a leader. So let's just consider for a minute a definition of leadership. First of all, what is leadership not? Tell the person next to you something leadership is not. What do you got? What is leadership not? Shout them out. What's leadership not? Boastful. It's not selfish. It's not, what else? It's not power. It's not a title. Just because you're given a title doesn't mean you're a leader. It's not a hierarchy, uh, a position that you might have within an organization. Um, a lot of us want to move up in a company, but it doesn't mean if you move up that you're a leader. It also isn't a certain personality type. When you think of leader, do you think of a per certain personality type? Maybe, maybe think of Myers-Briggs or DISC or one of those instruments. You say, oh, those high D people, those are the leaders, Right? Or this certain profile in Myers-Briggs, you go, well, those are the leaders. Those, those are kind of the take charge. The A-types. Is anybody an A-type? Yeah. If you're that personality type, you may or may not be a leader. But if you're not that type, you might also be a leader. Um, I used to go on, on hikes when I was living in St. Louis. And there was one guy, he was in his 20s at the time, he was trying to figure out if he was a leader or not. This exact same question. And over the course of this trip, we were hiking on the Grand Canyon. Over the course of this trip, he said to me, I figured out that I'm a leader, but he said, I don't lead from the front. He goes, I'm always at the back of the line. He said, I'm leading from back there. And I was always the guy charging on ahead, but he would be back there picking up the, the stragglers and helping people with, that needed some uh, blister care on their feet, encouraging people, and he figured out he would lead from the back better than he would lead from the front. So a leader is not a certain personality type. Also, a leader is not management. They're not the same things. You can be a great manager and not a great leader. You can typically think of it this way. Managers have charge of things. Leaders take charge of people. It could be argued that to be a great manager, you have to be a great leader as well. And to be a great leader, you'll probably end up managing something. So what is a leader? A couple things. Uh, these, are, these are kind of minimalist statements. Peter Drucker, have you heard of Peter Drucker? 
Uh, he probably, I mean, he's been, he's been called the guy who invented management. He's the guy that in the last century, as organizations, corporations started getting more complex, he figured out what it takes to manage these very complex groups like uh, General Motors or General Electric and things like that. And Peter Drucker said, the only definition of a leader is someone with followers. Now, you could probably pick that apart. If you just took that at face value and said, well, if, if that's supposed to exclude everything else, you'd say Hitler had followers, right? Is he a leader? Do we, would we call him that? Um, there's another man by the name of uh, John Maxwell. He's done a ton of leadership development. Probably one of the first influences in my own life in terms of leadership. John Maxwell says, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Warren Bennis, who's really the pioneer of modern leadership studies, says leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. And a guy by the name of Bill Gates, have you heard of him? Yeah? Bill Gates said this, as we look ahead to the next century, leaders will be those who empower others. I could keep going. There are over 6,000 published definitions of leadership. I wanted to take it easy on Tyler, though, and not make him put all those up here. 6,000 definitions of leadership. What I find a lot of times, even in organizations like this is, I'll talk about something I'll say, you know what, I think, um, I think so-and-so's a leader. And I'm talking to somebody else, and they go, what? Them? No way. And where that comes a lot of times down to is the fact that we have different definitions of leaders. I might be thinking of a person that's got a lot of influence. They're thinking about somebody who can see the future and go after it. And so we, we need to talk about a common definition of leadership. One of the things that we did about a year and a half ago at X Church Lakeway is we said we have to form a common definition of what a leader is and then start taking the same language and then begin to start to say, how do we move people into role of leader? We have stuck on this definition and that is leaders serve. We're going to come back to that before we're done. And that actually comes from Mark Miller, who works for the Chick-fil-A organization. Anybody love Chick-fil-A? Yeah? Two hands, Jesse? Good. Um, great leaders serve, Mark Miller says. I get his daily blog. He's, he knows more about leadership than I probably ever will. Great leaders serve. He's the vice president for organizational effectiveness at Chick-fil-A. It's an acronym that stands for S-E-R-V-E, something just as a mnemonic device to help you remember. But beyond that, it captures the heart of Jesus when he talked about leadership, right? What did Jesus say? If any of you would be great, you must become a what? Servants. And if you want to become first, you must be slave to all. I do watch people function quite a bit. I'm looking for kind of fits in terms of appointments and, and giftings. And as I do that, as I pray over future assignments that God might have in them, I do notice this. Some people operate best as what I would call a technician. A technician is somebody who can come in, do a job really well, and then go back home. A leader is a little bit different. A leader maximizes their work through investing in other people. If you think about it this way, a technician typically has their head down. They're focusing on what needs to be done. A leader has his or her head up. They're focusing on who needs to be accomplished, not what needs to be accomplished. And they're saying, who else could join me in the fun or the party, the creativity or the task 
or the prayer, the celebration. Um, anybody ever read the book Tom Sawyer? Do you remember it? There's one scene, there's a guy named Tom Sawyer, and he's uh, supposed to whitewash this fence. You know about this? Doesn't want to do this thing. By the time he's done, who's whitewashing the fence? Tom? No. All of his buddies are whitewashing the fence, and Tom's sitting over there. Now, you might call Tom lazy, or you might call him a leader. I'm not sure about your perspective. And there is a little tricking going on in this story. Um, he may not have done it out of great motivation. I actually had a mentor, one of the first pastors that really invested heavily in me. And he had this metaphor of leadership, and it was like this. If you've ever had uh, like a countertop mixer, you know, if you're making bread or cake, and you got the beaters going, there's the bowls usually going around like this, unless it's broken, ours kind of did kind of these <laughs> little spurts, and it'd move a little bit, then it'd get stuck, then it'd move a little bit more. But he said leadership is like this, because where the beaters are going in the middle, can anyone relate to this metaphor? Where the beaters are going in the middle, that's where all the action's going on. It's smooth and it's creamy and it's, become, it's starting to look like cake batter. On the outsides, though, what do you have? Crumbs. And all these crumbs are like hanging to the side of the bowl as it goes around. And Jan, what do you got to do? You got to help it out. You take a spatula and you move around the outside of the bowl and you get all those things that are hanging on, kind of scared to the wall, and you move them back down to, there to where the action's going. And that was his metaphor of leadership. I was in high school when he told me that. That's stuck in my head to this day. To say, if the action's going on here, how do we get, sorry, don't see yourself as a crumb if this is one of you, but how do we get these people who are hanging on to the outside, how do we get them in the action where this is becoming something good? I think that's a great metaphor for leadership. So let me ask you a question. Was Jesus a technician or a leader? Tell the person next to you. What do you think? Was Jesus a technician or a leader? In other words, did Jesus just do the work himself or did he empower others? Did he enlist, and this includes enlisting, training, you know, he had to identify them, but then he had to train them, he had to send them, equip them for the work, and then ongoing coaching. Who said Jesus was a leader? Yeah, this one's kind of easy. I mean, we, we think we're supposed to say Jesus was a leader because he's the son of God. All right, my questions will get harder. This is an easy one. Jesus as a leader. So for this, we're going to look back in the Gospel of Mark. If you're in Romans 12, turn over to the book of Mark. If you're doing that, just kind of take a glance through Mark's Gospel. I'm going to give you a quick overview of a couple chapters. Chapter 1, there's no birth account. It just begins like this. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so John the Baptist came in the wilderness preparing the way. There is no angel. There is no Bethlehem. There's no manger. There's no oxen or um, clucking chickens or straw. It just goes straight into this action. That's Mark's Gospel. And so Jesus comes... He's certainly in chapters 1 and 2, he's doing the work himself. John the Baptist is baptizing, he's saying, repent then every one of you for the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus also came to John and was what? Baptized. This is Jesus commissioning, he hears this voice from heaven, it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am pleased. And then Jesus is immediately sent out to what? Chick-fil-A. Wrong. Where's Jesus sent? To the wilderness. There is no Chick-fil-A in the wilderness. He sent out the wilderness to be what? Tested. And so by Satan, he is tempted for 40 days. 
So here Jesus is, commissioned, he's tested, and then he's launched into the apparent need. He comes back and immediately he says, behold, the kingdom of God is upon you. Repent, believe the good news. And he starts healing. He starts performing miracles. He is at first glance a technician, right? But then right away in Mark chapters 1 and 2, he starts walking along. There are four guys fishing. What does he say to them? Nice job, guys. See you in church. He comes and says to them what? Follow me. Right? Two sets of brothers. Just show off to the person next to you. Tell them what the names of the brothers are who are fishing. Just tell them. The reason why I could do this and just expose you is because you have a Bible in front of you. Maybe. All right? What are their names? Two brothers are Simon and... Yeah, Simon is also named Peter. His brother is Andrew. And then the brothers, James and John. All right? There they are. And then Jesus keeps going. There's a tax collector, one of the most despised in that community. Jesus says to him, same thing, follow me. What's that guy's name? What? Matthew, also known as Levi. And we have immediately Jesus' uh, action. He starts hanging out with Matthew and his friends. To the point where the religious people, the church people start saying, What's he doing over there? Um, Jesus, you're with the wrong crowd. You should be now over here with us. Do you know what those people are like? Jesus knew exactly what those people were like. That's why he was over there, right? Apparently, there are some who are disciples, who are followers of Jesus, and others who are apostles, which means those who are sent ones of Jesus. It could be argued that you cannot be a disciple without being an apostle, but that's another message. So let's take a look. Mark chapter 3, and these phrases are going to be on screen for you. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. So he's been saying, follow me, and now there are crowds of people following him. But out of all those crowds of people, he appoints 12, designating them apostles. Now somehow that, that little insert, designating them apostles, the word apostle is a Greek word. It just literally means sent one. So whether that phrase is in there or not, the thrust of the passage is the same. He designated them apostles that they might, two things, look at this, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. We're going to talk about those two parts of what Jesus did here. That they might be with him and that he might send them out. What I want you to first notice is that he called to them, or he called to himself those he wanted. There was no congregational meeting. There was no vote. Arguably the most important team in history, Jesus is forming and he is appointing. It's not a democratic system here. He is pointing out leaders. He's lifting them up. Why? That they might be with him. That's what you're doing now, right? I'm not saying you're with me, Jesus. I'm saying you're with Jesus, right? That, that they might be with him. This is, uh, in the terms of the church, this is the gathering, what, what do the shirts say? Gather, scatter, serve? That's what this is. Or in the name Acts, adventure, community is this. This is being together. That they might be with him and then sending. That he might send them out. This is why this is attention. Uh, some of you might know that, that Acts along with Concordia University, it comes out of this tribe of the Christian uh, church called Lutheran. right? And in, in some people say, what does that mean? 
Well, there's different things that it mean. It, it has some to do with an understanding of, of the sacraments. But there's also this really important thing about paradox. Um, those who have this Lutheran identity are really good at holding things in tension. Because we love to get rid of the tension. We say, well, these two things are in contradiction. Let's just get rid of that one, and then life will be really easy. To have a Lutheran identity means that we hold these things in tension. Are we with Jesus? Is it about discipleship? Yes. Is it about evangelism, sending a mission? Yes. Well, which one is it? Yes. And that's where we find ourselves here. Great passage, Mark chapter 3. Some of you might know that Mark chapter 3 reflects our Acts strategy, which is one of multiplication. You know already that Acts Church Leander is not the end of the line. I said that this uh, launch team came, came out of Acts Church Lakeway. Well, a new launch team is going to come out of Acts Church Leander, and a new church will be formed within the next three years. Lakeway is already talking about their next launching uh, and, and how that might look. Gabe and I will be together with an Acts Church Network team, board of directors this week, to talk about next church planters. We realize that this multiplication strategy only happens as we do three things. Multiplying followers of Jesus, that's discipleship. Multiplying leaders, and through that, multiplying churches. And if we're not doing the first two, certainly the third one will never happen. So your wheels are hopefully turning by now, so let's make this question a little bit harder. Which one are you? Are you a technician, or are you a leader? You don't have to tell me what it is, but who thinks they have an answer to that question already forming in their mind? Yeah. Do you have influence? Do you have followers? Are you taking a vision and moving it into reality through empowering other people? Those are signs of leadership, right? Not the only signs, but there are some signs. Hang on to that thought. Let's look at one more commissioning before we're done today. Acts chapter 13. You can either follow along with it in your Bibles or you can just listen. This is just one short paragraph. Uh, so we saw the, the commissioning of Jesus, his disciples, but now we see the commissioning in the early church as this gospel goes out. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and then we have the names of some, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Again, was there a vote? No. There was fasting, there was prayer, and there was appointment. Now I'm not against voting. I think in some settings voting is really important. But in these cases of commissioning leaders, there was not a vote. What I find is interesting is we don't know the name of the leader of the church in Antioch. Isn't it striking today where we say, oh, that's Rick Warren's church? Or that's Andy Stanley's church? Or that's Matt Chandler's church? Or that's Bill Hybel's church? Have you heard of those guys? A few? That's Mark Driscoll's church. We, we can't fill in that blank here. We don't know whose church this was. Who do we know? We know whom the church sent. That's all we know. We don't know who stayed back. We don't know the leaders. There could have been a great, great, powerful pastor back, back home. There could have been a great team of elders back home. We don't know who they are. They're nameless. But we do know who they sent out. Is leadership your vocation? I'm not sure. But I do know that we are called to grow in leadership. 
And for this, we must grow in humility. What was that that Romans chapter 12 said? By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. For whatever you bring to the body, you are part of the body. I want to close today with this acronym. It's the one that we've used as our definition, great leaders serve. Let's just break this down. The first one is great leaders see the future. Jesus, when he came, said, behold, the kingdom of God. He, he can see it. They can't see it yet. He says, the kingdom of God is upon you. Repent and believe the good news. John the Baptist could see the future. He said, after me comes one, what? Whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and tie. There's one coming after me. That's when you're going to worship. John could see the future. Jesus could see into the future. And uh, for leaders, there's this what we might call a holy discontent between today and tomorrow. Between here and there. Great leaders see this future and hold out this tension for us and say, hey, we're not quite there yet. Let's celebrate what's been done right now, but we're not quite there yet. Let's go out there together. So great leaders see the future. Second one is great leaders engage and develop others. We've talked about this uh, concept already. Peter Drucker always says, who does what? In any family, in any church, in any organization, who does what? This is one of the most important questions. To engage and develop others. And whether you're applying this at work or at home or in the local church, this is a very important question. Are you trying to do the work by yourself or do you have your head up looking around to say, who else is here? How do people fit? Who can do this job better than I can? How do I delegate what I'm not so good at? Here's what I find all the time. People don't want to delegate to other people tasks they don't like. Why? Because they say, if I hate doing that, I'm not going to give that to somebody else. Well, guess what? Somebody else probably will love to do that task that you hate to do. That's how God set this up. So to actually release that is a blessing to you and it's a blessing to them. So great leaders see the future. Great leaders engage and develop others. Great leaders reinvent themselves, is the R. They, they reinvent systems. They reinvent structures. They reinvent local churches. They reinvent themselves at certain points in time. Um, it's been said that today's young adults will have, and I've seen different statistics, but at least seven different careers. Could be 11 where our grandparents, many of them had one career. You know, you work for the company, get the watch at the end, have the retirement party, and then you buy the Winnebago, whatever. The 20-somethings I know now are buying the Winnebago today, right? And then they're saying, well, you know, I might do this job for a while, but then I'm going to do another one. Who relates to this? Yeah. Reinvent continually. That's a sign of great leaders. Jesus reinvented the religious life. Who did he call? Fishermen, tax collectors. He hung out with uh, the sinners, the prostitutes. He was reinventing the religious life. Look into chapters 3 and 4 of Mark's, Mark's gospel, and you see him redefining the Sabbath. And they're saying, Jesus, you can't heal on the Sabbath. Jesus like, really? Who's the Sabbath for? Sabbath's made for man. Man's not made for the Sabbath. So he's continually, we see him reinventing. Great leaders, the V, value re results in relationships. Results in relationships. 
Mark Miller says this, you will have a bias toward one of these. Who loves people in this room? Just put your hand up. Who loves people? Now, I'm, if you don't have your hand up, it doesn't mean you hate people, okay? But if you just absolutely love people, and if there's a task, the task is always going to wait as long as somebody's still around. Who's that? Okay. Great leaders value results and relationships. You will have a bias toward one or the other of these. Here's the key. Own your bias and build things into your life and your structure that will help compensate for that. I, I've actually made a shift. When I was in my 20s, I was the, the value, the people to the, to the effect that, I mean, work might sit there for two weeks as long as there were people around. And I had to start putting in, uh, systems in place. I had to set up a, a system of setting goals and objectives. I had to find a way to celebrate and to structure my day and my week in such a way that I would be more effective. And now I'm, I'm a lot more balanced, but I had to do that very intentionally at a certain point in my life, and I still have to watch that, and our whole staff, in fact, the Leander staff as well, we do uh, weekly goals, we do daily check-ins, we call them SUPs, and that's part of that structure so that many people in ministry love people to the point that they forget about some of the, the systems and the results. If, if you're a person that loves the results and can tend to lose people in the process, Put in your day, your day time or your calendar, your iPhone, whatever it might be, put in your, put in your calendar, um, write that note to that person this week. Or, or send five emails to people encouraging them. And just putting that into your plan for the week is a way to own that bias and compensate for it. Here's the last thing about great leaders. Great leaders embody the values. Let me ask this, what characteristics or tendencies do you have that you would not want to see replicated in others? Parents, if you're in the room, have you ever looked at your kids and said, oh man, what did I just see? That was me and I don't like it. Or if you're a leader at work or maybe you've taken on uh, the organization of a team, some other function at school, you look at what somebody else is carrying out, I think you always have to look here first and say, is that value being replicated because it's coming out of me? And in turn, converse, is if there are great values that I want to see in my employees, how am I embodying those things? What did Jesus do? In that same section where he talks about the fact that if they want to be great, they must become a servant to all, Jesus said this, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was indeed a great leader. Jesus both did it himself, he was a technician, but he was also a leader. I want you to know today that as we close, there's one very important part of what Jesus came to do that he could not delegate to anyone else. What was it? It was going to the cross. And although Jesus told his disciples to pick up their cross and follow him, that did not take away the need for Jesus as true God and true man to take up his own cross and go up that hill and willingly allow himself to be stretched out upon it. And to cry out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And to feel the incredible weight of not just that moment of torture, but to feel the weight of our sin. And to take that upon himself, but by the time he was done, he said that it is finished. No one else could do that. 
Jesus being true God and true man was the only one. Jesus, as the, the author of Hebrews says, tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. So Jesus does it again today. He offers to you his body, his blood. He gives you not only a model for service, he gives you the very act of service which changes our lives. Let's go to God in confession. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you today for um, the first article of the creed, the one in which we acknowledge that you have created everything, all that exists. And in that, we understand that you have created understandings of management and leadership, which are not only meant for the secular world, for business, for corporations, they are meant for us to use in our families, our churches, our nonprofits, to advance the kingdom and the causes of the kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray that we would grow today in that understanding of leadership and that vocation of being leader. I pray that every person in this room might see themselves that way. They are people of influence, people that carry the cross out into this world. And so work through that. But Jesus, we also thank you today for doing the very act that changed our lives forever. Stretching yourself out upon the cross that we might in turn hear those words Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And so Lord, may we as we offer confession today, may we hear those words from you as well. That we might understand this great peace that the chasm caused by sin is taken care of. And that we stand with you. Through Jesus. May we believe it in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.